Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TSC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about pain, chronic pain, and fibromyalgia. Pain is something that all humans are going to experience at some point, and most people's relationship with pain isn't a very healthy one. In this episode, we unpack what pain is, how you can use it as an important feedback mechanism, we discuss chronic pain, and we finish by talking about fibromyalgia, which is a great demonstration of how silly our current healthcare system can be in the words that it uses and how it medicalizes really common lifestyle problems that people have. This episode is sponsored by TFC Balance Beams. Our team at TFC discovered a while back that challenging balance work can be a powerful tool to integrate your feet and hips and also to help restore optimal alignment. The beauty about balance work is that you don't need anyone telling you what to do. With a bit of consistency, the brain learns through problem solving how to align your joints and fire the right muscles to stop you from falling over. We make all of our balance beams in Canada, we powder coat them for durability, and we give each person that purchases a beam a link to a database of movements that you can use to challenge yourself and go from easy movement challenges to really difficult ones. Check out our selection of sizes and models at tfc-shop.com and click on the beam tab. This episode is also sponsored uh, or sponsored and brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC headquarters in Ottawa are big fans of coffee, and this Canadian company provides a unique subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind each of the craft roasters that they that they come from. Check out theroasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout, and you're going to get seven bucks off your first month of any subscription, which starts at $27 Canadian a month, all in, including shipping and taxes. Pretty solid deal. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality cases that can keep your electronics safe during travel, and you can check out their cases at nanuk.com, nanook.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hello fellow humans, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today we're going to talk about pain, chronic pain. Uh, we're going to talk about nocebo and placebo. And we're going to finish by unpacking a really, really crazy thing that we, we um, have basically, a crazy term that we've made up in the medical system called fibromyalgia. Um, you know, pain is something that everyone's going to encounter, whether it's physical or mental. And helping people understand what pain is can be an extremely empowering piece of education for optimally dealing with pain. Uh, we're going to start with defining pain. Uh, like I said before, we're going to talk about placebo and nocebo effects, and we're going to finish with a conversation about fibromyalgia. So let's get going with pain. I, I think most people don't realize that, you know, pain is actual or perceived damage. So it doesn't always mean that something is physically damaged. It simply means that the brain is detecting a threat. And, you know, saying that pain is all in your head is, I don't think does it, it, it simplifies it too much. But in actual reality, pain is in your head, right? Like pain is, uh, and Lorma Mosley, who's a really smart guy when it comes to pain, talks about how pain is an output. So there's no actual pain receptors in your body. All the incoming signals that come from these receptors in your extremities are neutral until the, until the brain makes a judgment based on past experience. So until your brain thinks something bad is happening, there's actually no pain signals that come in. It's your brain that decides that. So your perception matters a lot. Your perception of things, of what's happening, exactly. like you say, threats, 
really it's it's a danger and a threat kind of system that helps our body and it's there for our benefit because there's examples of people who who don't feel pain those those random examples but they don't last very long no exactly (laughs) so it's there for our own good but i think the goal of today is to talk about when it can get out of control and and the chronic pain that that starts to develop and we'll explain that in a sec but but i think that but like helping people understand their like when you treat someone in clinic what i found was and this was something that you know, I wish was taught in school right out the gate because we would have been way more effective clinicians with the initial patients we treated if we knew more about pain and if we knew more about the role that people's mindset and understanding about the pain that they have has in how they feel, right? Because when someone comes in, I've had visits with patients where I don't even touch them, right? They sit down, I sit down, um, sometimes on the floor, most of the time, well, ideally on the floor, and we just talk for like 20 minutes and they explain the pain they're feeling and you you listen and you also you know you you listen like attentively you give them your attention so that they know someone cares they know someone's listening and then you explain to them what those pain signals mean and sometimes i've had people leave without any quote unquote treatment in terms of physical intervention and they leave in way less pain mm-hmm. why because they now understand why the pain is there and it's crazy how many people like i remember when i worked at fowler see a lot of ACL reconstructions. It's crazy how many people come in with an ACL reconstruction. They've torn their ACL. They've had surgery. This is like a several month process, you know, to get all this stuff done. And they don't even understand what they actually, what was actually done to their knee in surgery. They don't even know the process. Like what tendon went in there? What, what is an ACL? It's crazy. So people aren't being given explanations of what is happening. What is wrong? They're not really understanding it. And if you don't, it's normal too. Yeah, like pain, a lot of pain in these, like if they cut through you, that's, it's like, it's normal to have some pain and, but also expectations on what to, where to go from there. So like, like what we'll get into is movement is one of the best ways to get yourself out of pain. And just a lot of it is turning the, the threat and danger light off through, uh, through trial and error. And also through just proving to your body that the threat's no longer there. So you have to like prove to yourself and be like, oh, okay, cool. It, it's just this danger signal that that kind of lurks in the background a lot of time. Yeah. And one of the big things too that's what really got me and we were so into it in in, a, in the medical world, in the physio world, um, even these, these subjective pain scales. And it's like, okay, I see where you're coming from, but right off the get-go, I'm like, this is so skewed because... <laughs> Somebody's 10 could be somebody's one and yeah. so forth. So <laughs> or you it, get the people in that's like, what's your pain from zero to 10? Oh, I'm like an 11. Yeah. Dude, you can't even stay within the damn scale. Come on. It's exactly. crazy. <laughs> but, but what that does show is that it is highly subjective and it is somebody's experience with pain. So you, you do have to respect at some point be, at, to some extent because it's like, oh, for this person, it's a huge amount of pain. Yeah. And for the next person, this this... Uh, whatever it is, the surgery they got or the pain that they're in is, is like nothing. So I think that people's past experiences with pain, mm-hmm. um, all these other things, the relationships with pain in the past uh, matter a lot, though. I, th- I think uh, it creates this whole, you know, the, the stress that they're under. There's all these factors. It's really multifactorial uh, in what plays into somebody's pain, not only overall, but in that specific time. Yeah, And I've had it so many times where people... And this fits well in with the chronic pain we'll get into, but somebody will be in like a high amount of pain, neck pain, muscle tension and all of that. And then I'll be treating them and they'll go away on vacation for a week and, and then they'll come back and say, how was it? And they'll be like, 
I had no pain when I was away. It's like, well, what changed? Your neck didn't change when you were away. So what what did change when you were away? How did being at the beach and not working (laughs) make your neck hurt less? Like, let's think about this. So there's this so multifactorial. And I think we're so quick to put like structural causes on it. uh, And we see that a lot or diagnose things. And it's like, it's very, we've got to think a little deeper about it. But and if. Uh, so back to Lorimer Mosley, he's one of the leading pain guys. He's an Australian, um, I think he's like a PhD. He might even, I think he's a physiotherapist in terms of his background. But if you want to watch one of the most amazing videos on pain in, in, in the sense that it really articulates what's going on when, when you get pain um, and how the brain can really mess up. If you look up uh, Lorimer Mosley, Why Things Hurt, and you watch his 15-minute TED Talk. Um, it's super entertaining and it's super informative. And as the Coles notes of, of what he covers is, he's walking through a field, something just like brushes his skin, he thinks nothing of it, um, keeps walking, collapses, turns out a brown snake bit him, which is one of the most venomous snakes in the world, uh, almost died, got to the hospital in time, and was fine. But he thought that just something brushed up against him. Like he didn't actually, his brain didn't process it being a snake bite. It was just like, oh, that felt weird. Maybe a plant brushed up against me. Um, recovers from that, goes on another walk in the bush, a plant brushes by him and he freaks out because his brain thinks that a brown snake just bit him, but it turned out to be just a plant that brushed up against him. So the brain uses past experience in order to populate whether something is a threat or not a threat. And I think people, we have this, we talk about this in seminar, we have a whack relationship with pain. We're, we're, the medical system teaches us that, oh, you got pain? I'm going to get rid of that pain for you. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's take these pills. Let's inject this cortisone. Let's do all this. And we skirt around the fact that, okay, well, why is, why is the pain there? You know, like so I heard someone give a great analogy. If you go see your doctor and you say it hurts when I pee, you think your doctor is going to say, perfect, just don't pee. No, he's going to try and find out why it hurts to pee. And he's going to try and solve the problem instead of just covering it up. And too many times we cover up the pain and we actually miss out on understanding why the pain is there. Um, or too many times we just tell people what to do, but we don't have them understand why the pain is there. And then, big surprise, they never get out of pain because they never actually understand what's causing it, and let we, alone like the fact that it's not actual damage. We blow it out of proportion too, and we, we inject more fear into it. Yeah. It, we almost need to do the opposite of that because exactly. some pain's fine. Like, and, and again, different people's perceptions of it. If I'm doing some like deep mobility work, some, when I put people in certain positions and we're, we're doing it, like some people's perception of that is it, it's painful. And it, it's to me, it's like... It's I could see that. Yeah, I'm like thinking about it. Okay, I could see how that person would perceive this as potentially painful. Mm-hmm. But then it's then it's just semantics. It's like, well, for me, this feels great, and it. But it is. Then at the same time, well, yeah, the un- the discomfort feels great because I yeah. know. You so know you just I mean? have to it's, define it and really understand, okay, that person's saying they're having pain, but what do they actually mean? What is their subjective feeling? Please explain to me what you're feeling and, and I can help you understand whether it's discomfort that's necessary to improve your mobility by working into these deep positions that you don't currently have access to or whether it's, oh, we're jamming a joint. This is not good. So it's like people just have yeah, conversations need to be had about pain instead of just saying, oh, it's painful. Don't do it. And I think the big thing with pain is it is very normal, but I think it's also very... But it should be transitory in nature. It should come and it should go. And I think that over time, we should have this relationship where it comes, we get better at dealing with it, it goes, it comes, it goes. It's not no, It's not normal to never have pain, but it's also not normal to always, always have pain. pain. Yeah. So I think it's just getting back to being better at uh, turning it into what it is yeah. and, uh, and dealing with it that way. So let's talk about placebo and nocebo. Uh, just quickly define them and just quickly talk about them. Then let's get into chronic pain. We'll define it and then we'll 
essentially use fibromyalgia as, as this very beautiful example of um, chronic pain and, and how, you know, the way we're dealing with things right now um, is probably not a great way. And, and I think fibromyalgia is a beautiful example of that. So let's talk about placebo first. I think the effect, like when you do a research study, first of all, it's actually really hard when you're trying to get a drug passed. Um, and a lot of like FDA basically says you have to prove that this drug is more effective. Uh, show us two studies where your drug has been proven to be more effective than placebo. Turns out that's really hard because mm -hmm. placebo is an extremely underrated and extremely powerful um, effect. And, and all placebo is, is your brain basically getting you better, right? You're mm -hmm. changing your perception. If you're given, so you based have on positive expectations. Right? Yeah, exactly. Based on positive expectations or thinking like if you have disease X and you're given a sugar pill, but you're told that this pill is a new treatment that's being tested to see if it's effective. If you think that pill is going to work, the likelihood is you're going to feel better. This is insane that it's not talked about as much because essentially we're showing that the mind is our most powerful healing tool. And, and I really think, you know, number one, people underestimate this. Number two, the medical system thinks it's bullshit and doesn't acknowledge its potential because it literally undermines their power and their utility. We're saying that people can get themselves better. They don't mm -hmm. need doctors for every single thing. And I think that can be scary to the medical system. And it has been studied more than the, the nocebo effect, which is the opposite of that. But I think still it's something that we almost just, it's like that kind of intervention thing we talked about last time where we, we like to discount it. But I think that you can use it to your advantage if you're a healthcare pra sure. practitioner. Um, the scary part of it is the nocebo effect, which is the opposite. And it's where negative ex expectations actually uh, create negative effects. So it's uh, basically suggestions and negative outcomes when they cause clinical worsening based on what somebody says. Yeah. And the same is in, in a in a practice setting. It's very prevalent in interactions between patients and um, physicians, healthcare practitioners, etc., where where they could be maybe injecting some form of the placebo effect in in positive ways and in, in, in ways that aren't meant to like trick somebody, but in ways yeah. that are actually positive and promoting them to get better. Um, instead, we're injecting this nocebo effect where we're, we're giving them these expectations through, sometimes it's through ignorance, sometimes Even we don't fear. know, and sometimes it's through fear. Um, Sometimes it's just a lot. I think a lot of times it's through ignorance and, and it's just based on how we're interacting with people or how we've been taught or all of these other things. Yeah. But it's very interesting studies and in how nocebo relates to pain. And I was looking at this one study that showed that just suggestion, the nocebo effects actually, um, it doesn't even require as much of the learning effect of the placebo effect. So it, you basically suggestions alone can quickly cause it. So wow. there was one study that looked at, uh, they used this non-painful tactile stimuli. So just like something brushing against you, very non-painful at all. Um, and they suggested to one group of normal individuals before that it would be painful. Um, and the suggestions alone caused the completely non-painful tactile stimuli to be ranked as moderately painful. <laughs> That's so they crazy. also used a low, low level electrical shock. So like a little buzz. So something that most people ranked as like nothing. So yeah. it was like mild discomfort. And it turned that into a very high intensity pain based on the ratings of these people wow. when they suggested it. So basically it shows that 
they were studying hyperalgesia, which is an increase in painful sensitivity. So something that is low-level pain uh, turns into something that's high-level pain. And then allodynia, the perception of pain in response to innocuous stimuli. So something that shouldn't be painful at all was painful because somebody suggested it was. Wow, that's so that, crazy. So that kind of links well into when we talk about the other stuff later. But just knowing that like suggestions, thoughts, perceptions, past experiences, that physically creates pain for people and that makes perfect sense when we talked about pain being an output and you know every stimuli that comes in being neutral until the plane until the brain places a meaning on it of you know threat or or insignificant it makes a lot of sense if someone mm. is convinced that something could be painful whether or not it is actually painful if the brain thinks it's going to be painful guess what it's going to be painful yeah um and i i think people underestimate terminology matters right like this whole thing this whole medical um you know, ethos of do no harm. Well, guess what? The words you say can do a lot of harm. I think, yes. I think uh, physicians and even phys- anyone in the medical world, if you're not given, if you're not learning, um, you know, if you're not trying to understand how terminology and how the placebo and nocebo effect, how all of that is related, you're not going to be an effective healthcare practitioner because you're not using one of the most powerful tools, which is placebo. And you might be implementing one of the most harmful tools, which is nocebo and giving people these negative expectations. You know, we're not saying if someone has cancer, you don't say, oh, you don't have cancer. But instead of saying, yeah, you're, you're probably only going to live for a month, say, you know, sometimes we see uh, the average ex- life expectancy might be a month, but we see a lot of people that take a positive outlook on life and healing live way longer than that. Like yeah, that here's tiny little bit. Do to, it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy how we're like, we focus so much on the pathology. We focus so little on things that determine outcomes way more powerfully than medications themselves. So terminology matters. You have to really make sure that the wording, you know, someone's coming to you, they have a disease, they're very vulnerable. You better make sure that what you're saying to them doesn't make things worse and it does whatever it can to make things better. This is powerful. We need to, and uh, we need to learn more about it too. I think the other part of it, you just talked about like a cancer diagnosis. The other part of it is these maybe less life-threatening things where it's like we need to untangle the jargon that's been uh, injected in people's heads. Yeah. Because um, a lot of times just the what people are told plays right into this effect we're talking about. Um, and I think a lot of it is this locus of control issue where if you're diagnosed with something or if, uh, if you're labeled as something, um, it takes it like almost out of your hands as opposed to maybe think uh talking about okay well here's here's why and here's some things you can do to undo this or here's some things that we can uh do to untangle your way out of this but uh, i think what as soon as this label comes into play and once people hear medical terms it, it's it's weird because there's it's almost like the clients and the patients some it's been so deeply ingrained that they almost want a medical term in a lot of cases yeah they want then a they, label. and then they find like they find like, wait a minute, I didn't get what I wanted because they didn't label me as something. So, <laughs> yeah. so then they find it, some people find it like weird, but then other people are like, oh wait, so you're saying like, I don't have to worry about the fact that my MRI says this, 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 and this, and that my last physio told me that I had this, this, and this. Yeah. You're just telling me that, oh, okay, just forget about that. And, and it's like, yeah. oh. Oh, this is what I have to work on. That's the more yeah. important and shit. I, <laughs> I would actually say that a lot of people like that when you, when you, when they trust you and they know and it's like you're not somebody just saying, "Oh, don't worry about anything." You're saying like, "Oh no, here's what this actually means," and and it doesn't it doesn't mean what you thought it meant. Here's what we can do, and yeah. it's very let's let's go back to base principles and how we might get you out of this. Yes. Um, whereas like the subset of people who want that, it, it's I've had a few people who actually 
don't want to even acknowledge that what I'm saying because they want that. They want to mm-hmm. know. They want to still know that they have. Question the question is, is how do they get that way? Because I think they don't do that to themselves. No, right? It's complex. It's and, yeah, and I think part of it is like them striving to understand and demystify what's going on. The problem is they're taking the wrong approach. They're looking for the term and not the actual root cause of what like what is causing this presentation it's less about what is what you have quote unquote and more about why is what you have actually happening and i've right? and i've had some very smart people in this conundrum which is very interesting mm-hmm. it's it's almost like the they want to know they want to they want to know what's going on. They want to, and when they when they don't know what, quite know what's going on, they they want to like fill the void with something that kind of makes sense to them. Yeah, and usually so they, it's Google, and it's not good information. But I, and not even that. It's like they want to. Once you you almost shatter their their worldview when you when you might introduce a concept like no, you you don't need to be so caught up with this uh, this diagnosis. It's not like this is not the. And then it's like almost like, oh my god because they're putting so much onus on that mm-hmm. and they're putting so much. Uh, weighed into that but i saw a video by Lorimer mosley as well i was watching it this morning before you came over um he says that his way of dealing with pain the biggest shift that happened was he would go he, he gave an example he's like this is how he used to deal with pain he would stand he got someone from the audience to come up he would stand in front of them with his arms crossed and say yeah you got this it's uh this is what you got and that was his way he used to deal with it. And then he's like, this is my new way of dealing with it. And it's a subtle difference, but see if you can notice the difference. Instead of standing in front of them, he stands beside them and says, all right, mate, we're in this together. Let's solve this. Yeah. And he's like, that shift in his perspective from telling people what they have to basically go, being on their side and being like, we can figure this shit out, mm-hmm. was made a difference in the way he communicated treatment, made a difference in his entire approach. And all it was was a slight frame shift in being talking to someone or solving a problem with someone and that is very powerful and you have to be honest about what what root causes actually need to be addressed and what the actual problems are because sometimes we get confused with the diagnosis but here's what some of the here's some of the actual causes that we need to address because i think a lot of people just skirt around that too either through ignorance or they maybe don't want to touch on things maybe it is you know certain touchy subjects like uh like their weight or their unhealthy eating habits or other things like that. But it's it's not like you're being mean. It's almost like people get very emotional when you start to touch on the true things that need to be addressed. Yes. But it's like you also got to do your due justice and say, here's what needs to be addressed. But I'm like you said, I'm here by your side to help you. That's yeah. my role here. And we don't have to change everything today. No. But here are the low hanging. Here are the easy things that we can target and make small changes that make sense with your life that are sustainable. Yeah, and I'm and it, maybe this we'll is too much for you. And we just yeah, we just problem solve together. Every time you come in to see me, is a chance for us to problem solve together to review. You know, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm also going to help you if something's not working. We'll figure out a different way to work on this. But it doesn't change the fact that we have to work. You know, taking a pill every day is not the best way to deal with this. We have to work on what's actually causing these problems. And I'm here to help you do that. Exactly. So let's talk about why don't we get into chronic pain now? So even. Um, yeah, so chronic pain basically, like we just talked about pain in general, and we we even noted on the fact that it should be almost transient in nature. Chronic pain is recognized that pain that persists past normal healing times, uh, and hence has a lack of acute warning function of the physiological nociception, which is like nociception is like pain perception. Um, pain basically, there's different uh, timelines, but three to six months, over anything over three to six months, uh, mm-hmm. that's when it 
kind of gets clumped in the chronic pain. And that's uh, long. That's, that's a, long, quite a long like, time. Average healing time. If you blast your ankle, you know, in a couple weeks, it starts to feel better, right? Maybe yeah. you still have a little bit of pain, but definitely not past them. You shouldn't be having pain past a month unless you literally, you know, incinerated your, your ankle yeah um so so yeah i mean three to six months is on the long end but what like you uh, you quoted some numbers before yeah, so, so that blew my brain up and so it's actually a bigger problem than uh it, it's a it's a huge problem in terms of medical visits so the this uh was looking at this ncbi study was looking at 15 to 20 percent of physician visits being due to chronic pain 20 percent of people worldwide affected by chronic pain and in the states uh affects up to 100 million people in the united states uh, that's and that's insane. a that's a massive number. That's crazy. So this is, these are huge chunks of populations that are and and the, basically all the numbers suggest that it's steadily increasing. So this pain problem steadily steadily increasing. But it, this makes perfect sense if you look at the way that we deal with pain in modern society. We basically treat it from a palliative sense, right? We control symptoms. We don't actually address what's causing the pain. And I think when we get into fibromyalgia next, this is a beautiful. This epitomizes the the nonsense that's going on in the healthcare system right now. But if you treat symptoms and you never actually address the cause, of course, everyone's going to continue being in pain. Of course, everyone's going to have to continue medicating themselves. And of course, 100 million people are going to be affected by this because we're not actually addressing what's causing the pain. And it's, so it makes sense. It, it does make sense based on the, the lifestyles that we're living these days. Um, on top of that, you add in like the modern day lifestyle. And it, it's tough. It's tough for people. But it does make sense when you look at it that way. And I um, think one thing that I started to tell people, if, if someone comes in, they've had pain for years. What I tell them is there's two things at play here. Number one, if you've had pain for more for like years, you're not changing what's causing the pain. That's number one. And number two, talking to them about how chronic pain is primarily a brain related, it's primarily a brain problem, right? And then I unpack that much more because that's too simplistic. But really, it has to do with your brain getting so stuck in this funk of, you know, like I heard the analogy one time where if you go down, um, there's a hill, there's snow on it, you go down the hill on a toboggan, every time you go down forms a deeper and deeper rut. The more times you go down that toboggan on the hill, the harder it is to get out of that rut and that rut is pain. So if you, if you lift your shoulder up and it hurts, that's you go down the hill once in the toboggan. So there's a slightly shallow rut. You do it again. It hurts. You deepen the rut. Eventually it's so hard to get out of that rut that even when the actual cause of the initial pain is gone, you've signaled that pain pathway so many times that it is so it's deeply ingrained. It's deeply ingrained. Your brain thinks that that motion is now a cause for pain, even though you might've gotten rid of the reason it's there. So Danger it, pathways have been hardwired into your brain. Exactly. So that's what it comes down to. So you have to unwire these danger pathways through. You have to depattern them. Yeah, through other other ways. So if we if we kind of steer over to fibromyalgia, <laughs> which is one of oh, it's a, it's an example of chronic pain. It's one of the uh, it's kind of listed as one of the the more uh, common chronic pain disorders and diagnoses that we list. Um, it's sometimes called a syndrome, fibromyalgia syndrome. But basically what fibromyalgia is, and I think it's important to, especially to, you know, general public, but also all the clinicians out there, because you will, you will hear people come in and and say that they've been diagnosed with this. You'll see in people's charts. Um, I know. Let's just say two things right out the gate. Number one, if you have fibromyalgia, we're not saying that you have no pain. Okay. We're not discounting the fact that you have pain. And number two, I forgot what number two was. So let's keep no, going. This, back is the, this is the thing. It's not because there's this big thing where the the patients think that 
when you tell them that it's in your head, it means that it's not real yeah. or that it's not real to them. It is totally real to them and you're feeling stuff because we just talked about how, how a lot of it is all these things that play into pain, your experiences, the neural networks that get burnt in your brain. So it is real. Problem is we're not addressing, there's a, there's a few problems at hand and I think we'll get to them, but one of them is we're not actually, when we label somebody and then we, and especially add medication on top of that to deal with the label that we put on them, we're not dealing with the root cause of getting them out of this yeah. real thing that's happening to them. However, the diagnosis itself almost takes away the locus of control because when let's let's talk about it and it'll make sense by the end because this this clump of symptoms that we label fibromyalgia are basically a conglomerate of of lifestyle factors in many yeah. cases that that add it's and a lot of times I looked into many studies on this that it's basically the accumulation highly correlated with the accumulation of physical and psychological stress. So, so what is it? It's, it affects about 2% of the population. Um, it's highest in kind of middle age. Um, it's a chronic condition that causes pain in different parts of the body. Typically muscles, joints can be skin, can be other problems, uh, such as highly correlated with sleep disturbances, um, trouble concentrating, uh, general tiredness and exhaustion, um, and headaches. So, so I have to, these I have, are all the th things associated with it. And yeah, you I have a definition from the NHS. So this is a national health service, which is the national healthcare system in England. Their definition of fibromyalgia is long, a long-term condition that causes pain all over the body. This go. is the craziest definition ever. It's so nonspecific that a red flag should be brought up whenever you read that. The Mayo Clinic um, defines it as wide, widespread musculoskeletal pain accompanied by fatigue, sleep, memory, and mood issues. And yeah. Merriam-Webster defines it as a chronic disorder characterized by widespread pain, tenderness, and stiffness in muscles and associative connective tissues that typically is accompanied by fatigue, headache, and sleep disturbances. So guess what? This means that you sit all day in a chair, you don't move, and you don't sleep. That's what those definitions look like to me. Well, it's there exactly. So, so also a few things to top on that. I already said highly correlated with with level high levels of psychological and physical stress. Also, usually starts w with a few areas. So you it's so you, like you said, it's like all over the body hurts. Usually starts with general pain um, in a certain area, such as low back, neck jaw pain or headaches and then it usually and it's kind of the addition of things over time where we start to add more areas to it um so it's associated with persistent peripheral pain generators as well being present so uh, tendinopathies arthritis and all of that also highly associated with depression also highly associated with catastrophizing cognitive style um so it, it's really and like you say sleep disturbances so all of these things that really play into anybody being in pain are present and I think that's the, the biggest thing. Um, dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system was listed as one of the, the factors. Um, and then it just pain processing. So so basically, a lot of it has to do... They're still really unsure with... They don't have a, like a, a real consensus on, on what it is. They can't really define it when you look into the research. But because it's, to do not, with, it's, it, not it's not something. A, They're trying to that's find a, a term for something that doesn't exist. It has to do with how pain is processed in the brain. And, and a lot of studies will throw that out there. It's how... How pain is processed, which is exactly. what we're talking about. So people start feeling pain at lower thresholds, which is which is a lot of what comes up is at two. And we, we already talked about how just the nocebo effect can cause a pain 
to show up at a lower threshold. Yes. So nocebo effect plays into it. Sleep plays into it. Stress plays into it. Anxiety, depression plays into it. Not moving plays into it. So it's highly, highly associated with sedentary lifestyles. Oh. So, so and, this is and, one huge, huge part of it. And side note, it says a lot of, uh, like when I looked it up online, a lot of the sites, even these very reputable ones said, there is currently no cure, but symptoms can be managed with medication. Yes. That is the... If you want an example of how the nocebo and this palliative management of symptoms contributes to people being messed up chronically, I don't know if there's a better example than fibromyalgia. No, exactly. <laughs> Another crazy part about it is that um, the studies noted that symptoms can vary a lot and oftentimes range and people can go through like worse times of it and then they can be relieved. Just like I talked about the vacation example and if I, like I've had people like that and it's like i've gone away and like w like what do you know stress is reduced sleep's improved a little bit i don't have to think about other things oh my pain is gone so like this variance of pain yeah. plays into this fibromyalgia too so what is it it's just a general pain disorder and it's manifested as like typically these like physical pain muscular pain all of that joint pain but guess what if i sit in a car for 17 hours I've got some pain yeah, in my hand. I just did it two weeks. <laughs> well, I just did it two weeks ago, and it, and it was painful getting into the car over over time. Um, but I, you know, as you work through it, that's again just a small uh, example of it. I think that we need to take everything into account, and I think the real problem that we need to talk about is, like you just said, once we put the term fibromyalgia on it, then that turns all of these things. Because what did we just say? We said there's all of these factors that can play into us being in pain all the time. Yeah. That's essentially what we just said. Now we're saying, okay, now we label it. So when all when general pain is present, we put a label on it and we say, you have this now. So then, and what did you just say? It can be managed with medication. Okay, so now you and have this. No, and there's no cure. And there's no cure. So you have the disorder. You can manage it with medication. Okay, what did we forget about? We forgot about all the things that play into this. Yeah. We forgot about... Now, there is studies showing that things like cognitive behavioral therapy can help. Um, we'll get it to it at the end. Just movement alone outperforms... <laughs> drugs on consistency and symptom reduction in fibromyalgia so just f frequent bouts of movement exercise the whole like and and they said basically anything we'll get to that but these are the root causes that we need to address sleep right sleep highly well, associated highly associated with poor sleep so what we do is we diagnose and pathologize somebody as having fibromyalgia and you will see this in people's charts you'll see this in medical files you'll hear people tell this to you when they come into you and they'll say i have this and they're almost now saying the real problem is the locus of control they're saying i'm feeling this way because i have this okay so somebody told them that now it takes not only the onus off them and it's not their pro it's not their fault it it takes the onus off them because it says like i don't i can't do anything about it i have it mm -hmm. and then it also says, let's not look at what causes it. Um, and it feeds into these pathways, uh, at least like these nocebo pathways, because now there's like a legit reason why you have pain now. And it's like, okay, I'm going to, it's almost like now it's, it's much harder to get out of pain because they know that they have this thing that's supposed to cause them pain all the time. Yeah. It's well, tough. I, so I was giving you like a brief story before, but you know, I'll just talk quickly about a case that I had, cause this is a, this case serves as a prime example of how crazy how crazy your medical system is. So I had a lady, she came in before we even sit down. So I ask her her name, we go down, sit down to do her subjective. And she says, oh, before we get into this, I think you should probably know that I have fibromyalgia. And so in my brain, I'm like, okay, this is this ramped up the challenge level of treating this lady. Um, but, but I think, 
you know, I basically took it as a personal challenge to be like, I want to find out why she said that, why she said that first, right? Mm-hmm. Like what cre- caused her to think that she, inter- she has this crazy thing that she had to tell me before anything else we talked about. And I found out that she had gone to, uh, you know, what her family doctor told her she had fibromyalgia. Then she got two other opinions. And both doctors told her, confirmed she has fibromyalgia and offered different drug alternatives to control her symptoms. By the way, there's no blood tests or there's no tests or anything no. like that. It's just a clump of symptoms. Yeah. It's like, oh, this seems like a... And, and basically what I did was I went through, okay, you know, I essentially told her that fibromyalgia is modern lifestyle-itis. We don't sleep. We sit in poor positions. We don't move. And so our entire body and our entire, you know, sleep is one of these, the most, you know, I'm kind of looking into sleep now. And by the way, we're going to do a podcast on sleep in the next couple of weeks as an intro to it. Um, Sleep is one of the most powerful and most underrated and most misunderstood tools, maybe more than any other element of health that I've ever looked at now that I'm really looking into it. But she was she was told by so many different people that had doctor in front of their name that she had this disease with no cure but that could be managed with drugs um that she literally internalized she identified herself as fibromyalgia she was someone with fibromyalgia she didn't have a name she didn't like she was just a person with fibromyalgia and and literally this was the, the most challenging of fibromyalgia. Yeah. And yeah. she, and this was reinforced. She was convinced that she had this crazy disease and, and, and it sucks because this is one of the most challenging cases I had. And I literally could, at the end, I, I couldn't, she was not willing to accept that fibromyalgia was something she could modify and get rid of. And so I literally had to discontinue care with her because I could not, I could not convince her against what she had been convinced of by three other doctors that she didn't need to have this. She, I, I, I really think that she internalized it and it became so deeply part of her personality. You know, she was off work because she had fibromyalgia. She was the person that needed help because she had fibromyalgia or couldn't do this because she had fibromyalgia. Yeah. And I think she was scared of being able to do all those things again to the point where she just basically decided she had fibromyalgia and that was going to define her for the rest of her life that's the story and i straight up told her i'm like do you want to keep having this and she said and then she got angry and like literally that's what caused us to not see each other anymore but but that was a prime example of how this lady had been brainwashed by physicians and 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 then the question is like okay well why are these super smart doctors not seeing the obviousness of this symptom presentation and what causes it and i think the the biggest thing that i've kind of come to the conclusion of is they get no education on sleep. So how could they talk about something and help someone on, on a topic they have no education about? They get In four years of medical school, you get two hours of education on sleep based on what Matthew Walker says. And they don't understand movement. They get zero education on movement and the harms of sitting in a chair all day. They get zero education on sleep. Like you're going to spend 30 years of your life sleeping. It's something every animal species does. It's probably pretty freaking important. Why the hell aren't doctors learning about the most the, the Swiss army knife of health that can help everything else? It's crazy. And I think that that lady was the victim of the medical system in terms of the way we think about it. Or just that plus just the fact that the way that we're trained is typically to um, almost diagnose like diagnose problems. So if we diagnose it as that, then we've we've done our job. So yeah, but the but it's like the negative side effects of of all of that is what you just talked about with this this example. (laughs) So So crazy. We have a diagnosis system, not a healthcare system. That's (laughs) crazy. That's the thing. So I, and it's it's a tough subject because you don't want to you need to tread lightly with the with these type of, type of people because it's we're now dealing with like you say almost undoing these stories that have been set in place the 
the identities that have been created over time. We're now delving into psychology quite a bit. Yeah. And that's where it gets tricky. So, I mean, you do need to have uh, some... You, you need to be somewhat versed in yeah. psychology. To and with that this. said, I have treated many other people with fibro that have been quote unquote diagnosed as fibromyalgia exactly. patients successfully. That was just the one example that kind of broke my heart because it really was not her fault that she's in pain. It was the way she was told about her problems. That, that was like that, the most, yeah. most uh, extreme example. If exactly. you're listening to this, I hope you're doing well and you got rid of the problems. I really do. Yeah, no, yeah, it's like, Everyone is different, and, and I think some people are, it, it's been more deeply ingrained than others, but I think the, the biggest thing through all of this is let's, like you just said, the challenge with somebody like this is to get on the same team as them and mm-hmm. and not say, hey, uh, what you're saying, like what somebody told you is, is fake, and here's the, no, it's like, okay, here's, here's what's, let's try to get under the same page. And let's now, both understand this. Yeah, and then that's the first part of it and then the second part is okay so now now that you trust me now that we're on the same team what can now we do let's about start it? to address these actual root causes that are potentially contributing so like you said how are you sleep like let's do this together how are you sleeping how is your lifestyle like and then it's like you find some things out and it's like oh okay some, some, some things start popping up yeah. you're not sleeping well you have relationship issues you have um you're not moving all day you your dislike your work and you're, you're, what you do every day your diet is not on point so okay let's now let's start to tackle these problems because i think the the problem is that the barrier to entry is the diagnosis thing that like the all semantics thing it's like oh no he's saying i don't have this i have this we're not even dealing with the actual problem now. We're just arguing over like semantic stuff. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. But that, unfortunately, that's the hardest part to get through at the yeah. start. So I think as therapists... It's the rate limiting step is as, getting yeah. past that Therapists word. and doctors need to be better at, okay, let's get things back to what needs to be... Because we're just wasting time with all that. So let's get things back to uh, just connection and then let's start to tackle problems. Yeah. It's so. like, I want to get you better. You want to get better. Let's do what actually needs to be done. And let's let's put this terminology aside. You know, maybe maybe you don't agree with me right now with what that what fibromyalgia actually is or what it's a result of. But let's talk about things that you can change that you can see instant improvements with. Like be open minded that this stuff will work. Cause I think that was the one of the biggest obstacles with her. She wasn't mm-hmm. even open minded that you know, I would say go out for a 10 minute walk a couple times a day. And she's like, oh yeah, it hurt when I walk. It's like she did, she decided that it wasn't going to work. And Mm so, you know, you can only coach the coachable, right? And I I think, um, but it it really does revolve back to the fact that 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 situation should never have been created in the first place. And I think we can get, we can get to that point where that doesn't get created because guess what? My job would have been way easier if that, if all the other shit hadn't been done before, that lady would have been fine. And right. what's interesting is that fibromyalgia is not an actual medical diagnosis in certain parts of the world. Yeah. So we, we just decided... <laughs> Smart in, parts. <laughs> we've decided that it is. So like it just shows you that's an example. Okay, we, we've made up, like you say, we made up this diagnosis, but now it's supposed to affect people. So mm-hmm. if that diagnosis didn't even exist at all, then maybe that that person would be in a different situation. Yeah, maybe they would have shoulder pain. Yeah. Or like... Um, maybe the whole life trajectory in the would be changed because yeah. that simple term didn't exist. So that's when it gets kind of interesting yet also scary. So so let's talk about what we should be doing with people with chronic pain, I think. And, and, and you know, a little asterisk here. We don't claim to have all the answers. We're doing this podcast to essentially put our voice out there to try and help anyone that can get help from this information and kind of explain our journey as we continue to learn because we have a shit ton of stuff to learn 
and we're getting better and better at seeing things that it seems like the the medical system as a whole is not seeing and we just want to put this out there so we're and not these are conversations that we would be having either way yeah. with each other and with other colleagues and, I think and with these, doctors these and with patients yeah these conversations are important to get out there because i think we're all just trying to figure it out uh, and I think the more people uh, who are trying to figure out the get through, cut through all the bullshit and get to the the actual stuff here, uh, get back to the first principles thinking. I think that's gonna where we need to go because as you see, all these indicators are indicate like chronic pain is on the rise. All of these things are on the rise, and it's actually diabetes, obesity, ex- yeah, heart problems. These things are exponentially crazy. getting worse, not better. So I think it's the time that th- we need to actually talk about them objectively um, and honestly, and uh, and not skirt around uh emotion like don't i think when emotions get too tangled into things it starts to affect the actual conversations that need to be had too um it's a it's a tricky situation but i think just having the conversations and you might not like some things we say you might like some things we say it doesn't really matter this is the whole point of a conversation and also if you don't like some of the things we say instead of just like pushing it away and and becoming tribal about it saying oh no they're wrong it's like think of why you don't like what we say like do we share common because People that you, you know, have a conversation with and at the start you disagree vehemently on things. If you have a humane, rational, logical conversation, guess what? By the end, you're like, oh, shit, we agree on a lot of stuff. And maybe we disagree on this one little point. We know why we disagree on that point. We know the the deepest layer at which we disagree. And we're okay with disagreeing because guess what? 95% of the stuff we agree on. I think a lot of people... It's important. Exactly. I think a lot of people inject their personal reality into um, and then layer emotion into it based on when something that they hear and I've, I've noticed this quite a bit recently even on like instagram comments so they'll say what you said is not true and then they'll, they'll like list a specific example of something that like is specific very very specific to them mm-hmm. so it, obviously that shows me okay it touched them a certain way and that's why they're reacting this way yeah but then it, it's like okay so i pull apart the argument a little bit more look at the bigger picture i wasn't specifically talking about you you just thought i was talking about you because it hit something inside you that triggered that yeah it hit a nerve so like the same can be said about this it's like if you are affected with fibromyalgia we're not saying like, like just think about the things we need to say yeah. as opposed to react or if somebody that you know or in a relationship with or whatever has it um, thinking about it and, and maybe even suggesting them to listen to something like this or, or to go out of their way and educate themselves on things like this because I think that uh, I think that puts the barrier up again to actually getting through to what the truth is. And if if somebody was more open minded to it, maybe they could do their research on this stuff and they can actually find stuff to help themselves get better or they could help their, their loved ones get better. So and trust is always the mandatory element for anything constructive to happen in health. People need to trust you that you have their best interests in mind and you don't have some ulterior motive that you're chasing in order for right. Like if you if you see someone wearing terrible shoes. And this is something that um, Jeff kind of mentioned. He's like, instead of telling them in front of others, their shoes suck, I'll take them aside when they're not with anyone else. And I'll say, I'm telling you this because I love you and I care about you. And I want you to know this, whether you use this advice or not, those shoes are really damaging to your feet long-term. This is what to look for in footwear. That's very different. They're going up to them in front of everyone else saying, those shoes are terrible. Why the hell are you wearing them? Those are, you're putting up a barrier in one instance and you're taking down barriers in another and building trust. That same example can Huge. be used in any different area. I yeah. think like the like the doctor who says you have this for it's it's just all about how you approach it. Um and they just need to know that you're you almost need to be very um up you almost have to actually say it. I was talking to this with my dad recently and and it's like you you almost cuz we think like okay if you if they can feel that you're you almost have to like let them you have to make them feel that you're on your side, but you also actually have to say it. 
sometimes. Yeah. Like I'm actually on your team here. And they yeah. need to they need to also feel it off you. They need I'm to on feel your, your I'm on your team to make you healthy, but I'm also not here to sugarcoat it and be your friend. It's I'm telling like, you yeah. what you need to know, not what love. you want to know. I think the tough love example needs yeah. to be injected into medicine um, and uh, just healthcare in general because it's these are the things that so many people are not addressing these these actual things like the, the I mean the, the classic is just like the the weight uh, weight management issues for people and I think so many doctors are either scared to even go there or just kind of eh, like touch on it but they're not no and it's like. No, this is really going to affect your longevity and your health and your livelihood. We need to address these things. But yeah. I'm I'm somebody who you can trust. I'm here to help you. I'm doing this for you because because I, I want you to get better. I'm here for you. So I think it's the but and it's the it's the both things that need to be because no one wants to be shit on saying hey you you're overweight you need to do this this and this yeah. and then feel like oh that guy just shit on me all day <laughs> yeah. and I think that's what people think when they hear certain things because they mm-hmm. put up the wall of emotion again. So anyways, back to what needs to be done or what should be done. And again, this is these are some just quick examples. But I mean, back to the pillars of health. One of the things I looked at for in terms of fibromyalgia and chronic pain um, was this review in 2015 um, that looked at just movement and exercise. And it was basically titled Physical Exercise as Non-Pharmacological Treatment of Chronic Pain. And basically, they showed that just getting somebody... So again, they sh- this is the study that showed that sedentary behavior was highly, highly correlated with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's number one. Big surprise. And then they, this study showed that regular bouts of any movement was supremely effective in treating uh, chronic pain, and it outperformed drugs in terms of consistency and breadth of symptom reduction. <laughs> it also helped out with with uh, improving sleep, uh, improving cognitive function. So these are other things that we already listed and back to the fibromyalgia. These are prime things that they list as symptoms in, that are clumped into it. So physical activity. And then they were they got into like, was it better to strength train or was it better to uh, do mov- movement training like yoga or tai chi? Or was it better to do cardiovascular exercise? And basically the the uh, conclusion was we don't really know yet. Uh, and the, guess what? The it probably doesn't is, even matter. <laughs> exactly. The conclusion is, well, doesn't really matter. All of those things, strength training, there's studies on strength training, uh, movement training. Basically, they said they were all effective. Just do more of it. Just do more of anything. And they said even just moving more, just little bouts of movement. They just said just move more. Yeah. And moving more was effective, more outperformed drugs. So it's like, okay. And and I think that it's just one of these things where if, if somebody sees this, you almost have to really put this into play. It's one thing to cognitively know it, but you're like, no, literally just moving more helps better than these drugs. It's, it's just a hard thing to take it. It's a hard thing to internalize. Um, yeah. and, and it's almost back to the thing. Like people don't want to hear that. It's like, you know, you just need to move more. Yeah. Like, Oh, what? Like, like literally you just need to stand up and like walk there and walk here and like go on a walk at lunch and then go on a, like do more stuff. And People like, think it's too simple, but it's also like, this is the truth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were talking earlier too about how we're building out and, and developing uh, the TFC app. Now, one thing that I think that can be powerful for is, okay, as a therapist or a doctor, you can't, you're not attached to your patient all day long. You can't be there as giving them reminders, but guess what is attached to them? Their phone. Mm-hmm. And guess what can be used as one of the most powerful behavior change tools by just taking out the guesswork and and helping people so that it's so easy and simple that they that they it's almost impossible to fail. Guess what? If your phone had a notification that dinged at a certain time of day where you know you have you're available, you're either watching TV, you're not you know you're not in a meeting or whatever, and it said go for a ten minute walk or move a bit, and it, you clicked on it and gave you a menu of five different things: ten squats, some jumping jacks. 
a dance, whatever. If you literally made the phone be your personal health assistant through notifications to remind you to move or to remind you that, okay, you need to go to bed and wake up at the same time each day for consistency. This is a huge pillar of sleep. I'm gonna. Your phone is going to remind you when it's time to go to bed an hour before that when it's time to stop looking at screens and to dim the lights in your home. Like literally you can create people's phone into a behavior change weapon for health if you just engineer the right stuff. And, and that's this is what we're thinking of in terms of the TFC app. And I think this is what's needed to just like, because okay, say that person's like, okay, I need to move more. Well, guess what? If if they don't actually make a, an actual effort to prioritize it or don't make it convenient and basically mindless to actually do that, it's probably not going to get done. No, exactly. So they need reminders. To, it comes down to changing these habits. And again, it's good to know this on paper that movement is is basically one of the most effective things you can do for chronic pain. And guess what? It's, it's free. It's free. But <laughs> there's another thing to anywhere. be able to, to, to do it and make the habits and rituals around it uh, and make it part of your lifestyle. And I think that all of this is comes back to the lifestyle that we live yeah. and what we do with our bodies, what we put in our bodies, how we sleep. So... Uh, you know, who we interact with. It, it just comes back to the lifestyle. Uh, it's lifestyle medicine and it's lifestyle, living a healthy lifestyle. So that- yeah, I read that in Erwan LaCour's book and that was one of the most powerful statements because I'm really like, I don't know about you, but even myself, I'm still trying to figure out what does health even mean? What is the most simple way to explain people how to be healthy? And one of the things he said was the only way to be healthy is to live a health centric lifestyle according to your biology this is the only way to be healthy i don't give a shit what someone tells you of what drug or what workout is the best the only way to be healthy is to live a natural lifestyle according to your biology that is the only path so i think this that's probably a good way to wrap things up is just you know a few takeaway points number one understand if you have chronic pain or you have you know if you have pain that's lasted over three to six months the first thing you need to do is understand that your mind is a very powerful tool to get rid of that pain and that the first thing you should do is try and do your best to either speak with someone or do your research to understand why the pain is there. So understanding the true problem, addressing these lifestyle elements like... And also just knowing that it doesn't have to be that way. Like, yeah. Because I think that... You're not defined by that. And it's not something... Because I think when once the pain lasts longer and longer, then it's almost like, okay, this is the way... Your brain says this is the way it is now. That's the definition of what like laying down neural new neural pathways in your brain is habitually it's almost like this is the way we're going to do things this is the way life's going to be mm -hmm. so you need to just like conceptualize that and talk to people about that and say like no it doesn't need to be that way a lot of it is just just knowing that um and then i think that like you say start just slowly slowly start to address yeah. these these root causes and maybe just start with one or maybe start with two. Yeah, small things, um, small changes, right? Like start addressing these lifestyle um, elements, right? Whether that's the food that you put into your mouth. If you can make small improvements, if you eat one less bag of chips per week and and have a bit more color in every meal you eat, guess what? That's a significant change because it's sustainable. You can do it forever. This is a permanent change for the benefit of your health. And it's not that hard to do. And then if you no. focus on the positive and the positive change, um, that goes a long way or like focus on the good feeling. So that's something that I've tried to incorporate. Like when you're feeling good, be like, oh, like note it. Oh, I'm feeling good. And then you can yeah. almost search around and be like, why am I feeling Find good? pattern. Oh, cool. It's because I think it's because I was I do was doing this the day before I got a good sleep. Oh, you start to look at these patterns as opposed to why am I feeling bad? Mm -hmm. So I think if people always think of the bad, 
But if you, you need to feel, once you, it comes down to that feeling, you feel good, note it, note it in a journal, note it to yourself mm-hmm. and then just take note. And then it, that just kind of proves to yourself, oh, I'm feeling good today. That means that I don't always need to be like this. And then you can just start to compile more and more of this good feeling over time based on what you do on the, uh, in terms of programming your lifestyle better. Yeah. Uh, and then it just like take more notes of the good feeling. So I think that just kind of goes on a positive spiral uh, as opposed to this negative spiral where you're only noting the bad and yeah. only noting the negative. Yeah. And health professionals out there, we need to stop labeling people and medicalizing them to convince them they have a problem that is not something that's permanent, right? Like we need to address the root cause, try and understand, instead of focusing on labeling and diagnosing, focus on understanding and giving actionable advice that makes, that fits with this person's lifestyle. And, you know, I think the TFC app, a big goal with that is to create a platform that is free, that doctors can direct people to and where, you know, my vision for it is if you go in and create a profile, you say, what are your biggest problems? And you may have a drop down list. It's like ankle, knee, low back, sleep, diet. Like, what do you need information of? Once you fill out that profile, all of the content that we have, whether it's podcasts or blog posts or videos, essentially gets customized to the problems that you have. So that the top of your feed has the most relevant information for you. And maybe you can pick like, what doses of information do you want? Do you want little five minute snippets? Do you want 10 minutes? Do you want longer videos? You know, and allow them to essentially customize their feed of health education and have it be a place where, you know, doctors cannot do a whole lot in 15 minutes. And if that's the average visit length, then they need to be like having a resource that they can believe in and trust that is not trying to make money, but is trying to educate people would be a powerful tool for them. And I think that's what we want to create with this TFC app is a resource base for health education on whatever topic people want to consume that can be directed to their exact um, needs based on creating kind of a profile. And I think that's the most going to be the most powerful tool right like health education and health is basically a right it's it's a human right you should be a you should have all the information given to you to be healthy because too many things in modern society make us unhealthy um and i think yeah i think you know chronic pain is one of those things where it shows us we're not doing things right Mm -hmm. and and i i think people don't realize in the medical community that not only are we not helping people in some of these cases we can actually be contributing to a big part of the problem. I think fibromyalgia is a, is a wonderful illustration of no, the nociceptive effect of labeling and, and terminology and also treating palli- in a palliative way the symptoms without addressing the root causes. So anyway, we hope you benefited from that. Um, the next podcast we're doing is going to be on sleep. And as we delve deeper into sleep to try and build it into our, um, to build it into our two day health experience, which is going to be our kind of one level up from the seminar. Um, yeah, sleep is insane uh, in terms of its effects and how little we understand about it. So next podcast we do is going to be about sleep. We hope you benefit from that, that conversation and we'll catch you next week.